a joy to come home. Sit. That's the way I feel about it. So, good to be with you and to see you all again. It's been a sense of how this is all about Jesus this morning, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. Uh, we're followers of Christ. And he's such a wonderful, wonderful person. We haven't got a clue how wonderful he is. We really don't. Because we're trapped to some degree in these bodies and in this world. But one day we'll be liberated and truly free. Uh, and experience a tremendous relationship with Christ. Meanwhile, we press on to find out how wonderful he is so we can love him more. I want to share with you from a passage in Luke chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to read from verses 13 to 21. Jesus is uh, speaking to the crowds, it says. beginning of the chapter, just so we get it in context in your mind, what's going on here. It says in chapter 12 of Luke, at the beginning, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered... So Jesus isn't just talking to 20 people, 30 people. He's talking to thousands of people. I don't know how half of them got to hear him. I mean, because you never had amplification. And if you're speaking outside, of course, the sound is no control over the thing. When a crowd of many thousands are gathered, so that they're all trampling on one another. Isn't that exciting? Why do you think they were trampling on one another? They wanted to get to the front. Understand? Because this man spake like no other. This man had words that when he spoke them, they did something on the inside that excited and made you cry and laugh. All at the same time, they were the words, not just of life, but eternal life. It doesn't mean you live forever. We do. But it's the words of God. God words. No wonder they trampled on one another. I think I'd have been all right with my rugby practice. I could have got to the front and then got in now. I wouldn't have hung around at the back. It's funny, some churches fill up from the back, don't they? Have you noticed? They don't fill up at all, those sorts of churches. I always like churches that fill up from the front. Anyway, let's read this together. Listen, let me explain. He's speaking to these thousands of people, and a man, obviously at the front, he shouts something out at Jesus. Uh, he asks a question. He wants Jesus to do something. And we'll, we'll look at it here. And Jesus' response is, is in a parable. So often he, he responded with parables. Uh, so you went away and had the imagery of something more than just an answer to your question. Something that if you kept meditating on it, it would grow and grow and grow in your understanding. 
a powerful thing. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. Now the parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Two brothers, I presume the father has died and maybe the older brother has possessed everything, uh, tricked his brother, maybe, I don't know, I don't, we don't know the circumstances. Maybe this younger one who's coming, he would just throw all of it away, maybe he had alcohol or drug problems and the other brother was saying no you're not going to have it because you're swat. we don't know the ins and outs of all this but he comes and he wants Jesus to arbitrate the matter now he could have gone to a magistrate they had magistrates in those days and if something was illegal or not right you could go and plead your case but he's there and he understands and realises the wisdom of God. He doesn't perhaps know who Jesus Christ is. But he says, you judge this. You arbitrate this situation. You say what should go on here. Tell my brother, he says. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't ask him to judge the situation. He says, you tell him what he's supposed to do. Mm. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Except there might have been a good reason why he wasn't dividing it. I don't know. But Jesus replied, and his reply is really, really important. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? It begs an answer, doesn't it? Because he asks, who? Who has set me up to be a judge? And of course, the answer that is obvious is no one. No one has set me up to judge you. Jesus will not judge the situation, but he's quite prepared to give wisdom into the situation. Can I tell you this morning that God is not judging you? Many Christians live their whole life believing that God is judging them. That God is watching everything they do. 
And in some strange way, passing judgment. Jesus makes it clear here. I'm not a judge, but I'll give you some wisdom. And you can go away and work it out yourself. That, that might have liberated some people this morning already. Just that which I said. There's no more to say to some people. Maybe they thought, oh, I never realised that. I thought I was living and God's judging eye was always upon me. Then Jesus does, like I say, what he often does. He, he shares a parable with them. Parables are to show us a better way of living. That's it. That's the essence of Jesus' parables. When he says, it's best you do this and not that, he's not passing judgment on you. He's just saying, this is the better way to live. Live. If you were kingdom people in the way that I would live, live. Live the same as me. <clears throat> so what's the parable? There was a rich farmer. His ground was good. And it produced a great crop. <coughs> and God playing his part caused the sun and the rain to fall on this ground and prospered the man. So God was responsible for this man's riches. Do you see? It could have been lousy ground. And it never rained. And the sun was too much. But God was responsible for blessing this rich man without a shadow of death. It says that the man had barns. Barns. And he tore down these barns to build bigger barns because the prosperity of God just poured into his life. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach a prosperity message. Do you know there's a difference between prosperity and wealth? God might not necessarily want you wealthy having lots of substance or money or property. He might, he might not. That's in God's choosing, as it was with this man. He blessed this man with great wealth and substance. God might not want you wealthy, but he does want you to prosper. He wants you to grow in every aspect and part of your life because he doesn't want to take away things from you and curse you and make life more hard and difficult. His plan is to prosper you. Not necessarily with money. It can be. But to make sure you have sufficient for all your needs and to be able to help others. He prospers this man. This man doesn't do anything wrong, does he? Farmer, he's working hard. His, his crops are, are developing and growing and he's thinking, well, this is good business. Praise God for this. I'll just build bigger barns and bigger barns. That's what I've got to do. That's what a responsible man would do. But then we get a little insight into this man's head and his heart. See, we can't always judge things on the external, but we don't see the head and the heart always. But God always does. He says, the man says to himself, I now have plenty of good things laid up for many years. But, well, he's wealthy. He hasn't done anything wrong yet, this man. 
I will take life easy. Well, we all say that when we get about 65, don't we? <laughs> take life a little bit easy. Ease up a little bit. Okay? And it's prosperous. But there's something very wrong about the man's thinking. Because we know Jesus says he's a fool. He's acting like a fool in his thinking and his attitude. Why? Well, thinking like he did, he didn't know there would be a future. I've worked hard all my life. I've built this great empire, this great wealth. I've got everything now. I will just relax. We can't say that because you don't know when God's going to call you home. You can't plan like that for tomorrow. We make plans, but we don't know what's going to work out with the plans. That which he has worked so hard for, he might never enjoy. And the truth is, somebody else will enjoy it. Somebody pops up. How many parents have scrimped and saved, you know, thinking they were doing good and then they would pass something on to their children and the children just blew it away, giving no consideration about all the endeavour and the hard work and the commitment that they... And they were only too pleased to give their children something. But it meant nothing to them. It was blown in no time at all. But most importantly, it says here, he had not been rich towards God. Now, there's a word of warning there, isn't there? You go, Philip, what does that mean? It, it isn't explained to be rich towards God. Well, you can sit and ask the Holy Spirit. Okay. A bit like Mary did. God, what does it mean to be rich towards you? See, in one way a person might be rich in one way, and then another, and another person in another way. Obviously, if you've got lots of money, you can be rich towards God financially to bless the kingdom. But if you haven't, does that mean you can't be rich towards God? Of course you can. Your time and what God has blessed you with in your ministry, whatever, you can be rich towards God. This man was foolish because we see he was not rich towards God, but he was very rich towards himself, wasn't he? He had his self in the main focus. Now, I don't believe for one minute God punished this man by taking his life. Not for one minute. He just said, Tonight, you're going to die. I let you into a secret. God says that over all of us. One day, we'll die. It's not a question of punishment. It's not a question of retribution. It's not a question that we miss the mark, that he'll take us out. We'll die. Unless he comes, he will appoint a day, and we will leave this planet. We all have to die. It just so happened that this man was going to die that night. 
before he could enjoy all of that which he had worked so hard. See, that was the foolish part, wasn't it? He planned as though there wasn't a God, as though he would live forever, as though he determined these things, but he didn't. Why is Jesus telling us this story? Well, he's warning us. He's warning us all the time. He is saying, careful, you can spend all your life working hard and looking after what God has given you, while at the same time, you're not being rich towards God. Most of you know me that I was in Christian ministry all of my life. But that doesn't guarantee I was rich towards God. It was something I always wanted to do when I got to a certain place and God called me but I could have used it to be rich towards myself, couldn't I? I liked the position or the kudos or the power that he gave or whatever, whatever. See, we must work out what being rich towards God is. And we must be rich towards him and not ourselves. The parables that Jesus spoke are not there to criticise you. They're never there to criticise you. They're never there to judge you. And Jesus didn't say things to condemn you. Ever. Ever. Now, if you're walking around with some condemnation, that's not what he designed. And it's not his plan. And it's not his problem. It's yours. It's yours. Did you notice when he spoke to the brother, his words were to him, watch out. You see? He said, watch out. And then he said, be on your guard. That isn't condemning or criticising anything. That's a word of warning. Watch out, he says to the young man. Watch out, be on your guard, be careful. And so when Jesus would share a parable with you or share the word of God, he's not saying, you're doing something wrong. He's saying, watch out, be careful. Be careful. We are on the same side, me and you. I'm not opposed to any of you. I'm for you. I'm with you. Be careful. Be on your guard. Watch out. Many Christians live their lives with a strong impression that God is watching over them very carefully. He's monitoring their every thought. He's listening to their every word. And he's observing every action. Well, of course he is. Of course he is. If God is omnipresent, wherever you are, he is. And if he is all-knowing, whatever you know and think, he knows what you know and think. Whatever you're saying, if he's omnipresent, he's always hearing you. And if he's omnipresent and you're doing something, he's always seeing you. Yes, he watches and listens to everything you do. But in the watching and the listening, he's never judging. 
If it was me watching and listening, I know I would be judging. <laughs> yeah, but you're not God, are you? Thank goodness. See, God isn't like us. God is far beyond us. We're judging all the time, aren't we? You're going, oh, I'm not sure if I like this preacher. And others are saying, oh, I think he's wonderful. See, you can't stop yourself, can you? It's judging. You understand? You're judging. Uh, that's fine. That's how we're wired. You understand? That's how we're made. And we are made to make judgments, otherwise we'll be in a right mess. Mm-hmm. But making judgments and being judgmental is a different thing. If you don't enjoy me, you just have to put up with me for the sake of the others that I understand. <laughs> that's what love enables you to do. See, if we believe that all the time God is watching over us and passing judgments, you can't enjoy your life. Not if you're a serious Christian. Because we seem to slip up and make mistakes. Not because we choose to do wicked things. We just know that we're missing the mark often. Many, many times. Jesus didn't save us to have us go around all the time thinking how terrible we are missing the mark. That's not freedom. That's worse than before we were saying. Before we were saying, we can give a monkey's. We couldn't care less. So he brings us into this liberty and freedom and we become oppressed by the fact, I'm doing something wrong now, I'm conscious. That can't be true, can it? Whatever we were before, he's brought us into a greater liberty and freedom. It can't be less, it's got to be more. What if there was something I was very accomplished at? And I said to you, I want you to do that thing. And you go, I've, I've never done that before. I'm not, I don't know if I'm, I can do that. But you say, oh, because you asked me, Phil, I'll do it. Now, when you do it, do you want me to stay in the room with you and watch you, or go out? Go out, of course. Yeah, go out. Why do you want me to go out? Because the thought will cross your mind. If I'm doing it wrong or making a mistake, you're judging me, Philip, all the time. You're watching me. You're seeing. You understand, you understand the point I'm making? You go get out the room, Phil. If I make a mistake, I'll make it on my own and then I'll patch it up afterwards and you won't know about it anyway. But if that's true in the natural, how much true in the spiritual? See, God isn't watching over your life to make everything you do so difficult (coughs) and hard and impossible and make you nervous. He doesn't judge at all. Okay, let me show you something in scripture. God the Father, he knows all about you. But he has no intention of judging you. Do you want a verse of scripture to substantiate that? I thought you would. John 5 and 22. John 5 and 22. It says, moreover, the Father judges no one. The Father judges no one. 
can't be clearer than that, can it? The Father judges no man. He goes on to say something like, all judgment will be passed over to the Son. And there's not a doubt that one day, every person who's ever born will stand before the judgment seat of Christ without a shadow of a doubt. Now, we pass from death into life, so our sin will not be judged before Jesus. We've gone past that stage. So, in the future, yes, Jesus will return as a man, and every man and woman will come before him, and they will be judged. Both we, for what we have done in response to his call on our lives, and those who have not responded and received him as Lord, judgment of their sin in their life. But he's not judging now. Because he said, who appointed me to judge you now? No one. Jesus is his own words, didn't he? Who appointed me to judge or to be an arbiter of you now? And remember the woman who was caught in adultery, who was brought to Jesus? Do you remember? Caught in the very act. Brought to Jesus, who was a representative of God, not that the Pharisees wanted to acknowledge that. And they said, you judge her. And he said, no, I haven't come to judge men and women at all. That's not why I'm here. And when they all the condemned her had gone, he said, now go. And in your best interest, change your lifestyle. And I believe for the first time in her life, she knew she could because she was ministered to by the grace of God. See, if you don't have grace ministered to you, it'll make you worse. God knows that. That's why he never condemns us. That's why he never judges us. John 3 and 17, following on from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his son. You know that verse. He goes on to say this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, if Jesus was a judge, the judge, when he's facing the defendant, makes a judgment. He condemns him, or he acquits him. That's the job, the job of the judge, that's what he does, condemn him. Now, we were all guilty. There's not a question in that. We're all sinners. We're all doing our own thing. We're all going our own way. So we come before Jesus. And he says, I didn't send Jesus to condemn you. Because if he did, we all stand condemned. <coughs> well, you say, well, did he acquit us? Well, he did really. He said, you can all go free. We said, that's unjust. We were all guilty. How can we all go free? He said, I will pay the penalty for your sin. Hallelujah. You have been acquitted because the one who came did not come to judge. He came to save us. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't this wonderful, this gospel? I tell you, there's nothing like it. 
we're acquitted <coughs> just as if we'd never sinned. He exchanged his perfect righteousness for our ugly sin when he went to the cross. So justifiably you're acquitted. So who's judging you this morning? Tell me. Do you feel you're under judgment this morning? Someone's perhaps looking down on you? Lindsay, I've been in church a long time and I've said some real bad sermons. <laughs> and sometimes I preach some real bad ones. I preach things that weren't true. <laughs> I preach condemnation, of course I did. Because growing up, that's what was taught to me. And so I took it on board and I preached it. And I wagged the finger. And I told you you should sort your lives out and get straightened out and should give money and you should go witness and you should go do all these things. But it's not right. It's not right. If you're going to be obedient to God, and you do, don't you? You want to be obedient to God. There's only one thing that will cause you to be obedient. It isn't guilt. It isn't condemnation. It's love. The Word of God hasn't changed from the Old to the New Testament. The law is there, and we have to keep it. But we can't keep it because of rules and regulations. We keep the law of God because we love Him. That's the only way it works. That's the way God set it up. That's the way God wants it to work. God has entrusted you to watch over your own life. Oh, that's too much responsibility. Oh, I'm sorry about that. You, you have to watch over your own life. You say, what if I get it wrong? Well, don't. You say, oh, but I don't know everything. God says, listen, when I save you, I will put Jesus inside of you. I will put him in your head, and I will put him in your heart. So if you never ever read your Bible ever again, you would still know what the right thing to do is. Thank God for the Bible. I'm not throwing it out, because it reinforces... And it dispels some of the lies and the deception that the devil would impress upon you. You can go back to it and say, no, that's a lie because the Bible says so. Because sometimes we get a bit confused. But the Spirit of God lives inside you to lead you into all truth. Amen. You're right, Mary. Where's Mary gone? <coughs> You're right, Mary. It is the Spirit of God that leads us. You're right. Absolutely right. It's a shame you have to wake up so early in the morning to get it. <laughs> you have to up to sleep and get it the more But if you're anxious to find truth, and God is not saying throw your Bibles away. Mary never said that. She said the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And the Word of God confirms what the Spirit of God is saying into our lives. See, you cannot live as Christians without a close relationship with the Holy Spirit and with the Son living inside of you. You can't do it. You can't do it. But you say, when I read my Bible, and sometimes when I hear a sermon, I feel condemned. 
because I know I'm not doing the right thing. Or <coughs> There is no condemnation in Christ. Now, that's a big thing to understand. It's a simple expression. See, the Word of God is a mirror. So, as we read the Word of God, it shows us what's in our soul, in our mind, in our thoughts, in our... It, it, it mirrors what's inside of us. I've got mirrors at home. You know, some people won't have them in their home. I don't know why that is. It's probably superstition, and if you're the sort of person who hasn't got a mirror in your home, go get one just to prove it ain't superstition. Anyway, do it on that. When I look in a mirror and I see something wrong, well, Philip, you're overweight. Thank you very much, mirror. Um, you need to get your hair cut. Thank you very much. You haven't had a shave today, Philip. Go and get a shave. You're looking really scruffy. Change that shirt. It looks ridiculous. Is the mirror judging me? It's not, is it? It's just reflecting. What is it? And I'm making the judgment. It's doing nothing. It's just holding up the truth in front of me. And I, I am dealing with what I am seeing. So I could say, no, nah, it's all right. I'm not going there today. I won't bother shaving. My hair's not really that long. And some people like it. I don't know, I can't be bothered with all this dieting because it's so much hard work and it doesn't work. And I like this shirt, so I'm just going to keep it on. The mirror told the truth. But what I did with the truth was up to me. The mirror never judged me. It reflected the truth. It reflected what it saw. And I assessed it. When I look into the Word of God, do you know what? I must see Jesus. If you look into the Word of God and you don't see a person, you've not focused properly. Now, there's lots of history in there. There's lots of poetry in there. There's lots of everything in there. And, and that's interesting stuff. But if you read the Bible and only get that stuff and you don't meet the person, you've read in vain. We must keep looking and we see God. We see his character. We see Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit. We see them. And as I see them, I see the image of God, the image of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit working, and I see myself. And I realise there is a discrepancy between what I see and what I look at in the mirror. Do you understand? And so I say, right, I, because I'm in charge here, I'm going to change. I have to do something about it. Now listen to me carefully. What you are responsible for, stop praying about it. <coughs> what you are responsible for, do something about it. Okay? If God says to me, Philip, you need to lose some weight, boy. 
And he could say that, couldn't he, for my own health sake. Yes. Who's like, what? Shh, no. <laughs> Why on earth would I pray about it? Why would I pray about it? For what reason would I pray about it? What would I expect him to do? Go to bed and wake up the next morning and have lost a stone? God couldn't do that. God couldn't do that. That's not how it works, is it? I know that through the death and the resurrection of Christ that I am a child of God and God's grace is available to me to lose weight. I don't have to pray about it. I just have to make a decision to lose weight. If God speaks to me about giving something to somebody, I don't have to pray about it. I just have to give it. Now, there are things that I must pray about. There are things I pray about are the things of which I do not have the control over or the decision over. You can pray for the lost because you can't make them get saved. I can make this body lose weight. You understand? There's a difference between what we must pray about and what there is no need to pray about because we shall know the truth and the truth sets us free. So don't pray about things that a simple decision will, will do it. And don't say, well, I need to ask God for the grace. The grace is yours. Because you're a child of his. Oh, God, help me lose weight. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Just, just put your will into operation. Get on a diet or whatever you want to do or listen to some people who know how to do it and just commit yourself to the business. Jesus, the Father, they're not condemning us. Now, what if I decide not to do the things that God asks me to do? What if he clearly says, Philip, do this? And I say, no. What's God going to do? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to criticise you. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to condemn you. And he most certainly is not going to punish you. Because all the condemnation, all the punishment that God was going to meet out, he put it on Jesus Christ. Hmm. Sometimes we want a clip round the ear, don't we? We want him to smack us or push us or make it difficult for us. But after serving the Lord for all these years, I've discovered that he doesn't do it. He says, you're a big boy, Philip. You know the truth. I've given you the truth to set you free. Now, if you can't be bothered to walk in it, shame on you. See the awesome responsibility he's placed upon us. But why not? We're co-heirs with Christ. We're going to rule one day in the heavens. Rule on the earth with him. We have to grow up to be responsible. If only for ourselves, then later. 
But if I want to do something about it, and I do, because I want to please my Lord, then I know that His grace is sufficient to enable me to do it. We simply exercise our will to come in line with His will. Jesus in the garden felt the pressure that would come upon the human being when death was staring him in the eyes. And in his humanity, he said, can we do this another way? Does this have to be the only route? But he said, not my will, but your will be done. And it said, the angels came and strengthened him. There was no reason to pray to the Father. He knew the answer. He knew it. What was he going to ask God to do? He was having a discussion with the Father. But God ministered to him, and he knew the route that was open to him. The Jesus will never condemn you, nor will the Father ever condemn you. You have been given the truth, and he gave you the truth to set you free. God bless you.